the title of my message this morning, I think the message will flow a little bit into the impact of a mission trip, is simply, don't be a tourist, be a traveler. And we're going to look in 2 Corinthians 3 and Romans 12 a little bit. I want to read 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18 first. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. And if you look at this scripture and put it more in the context, it's talking about the veil under the Old Covenant. And it gives an example of Moses back under the Old Covenant. You know, when he experienced God, he had to have this veil on his face so the glory of the God wouldn't blind everybody that saw him. And he's basically saying, you know what? We don't have that veil anymore. We don't have the veil under the New Covenant. It's different under the New Covenant. And we are being transformed. You maybe have heard Ben Goodman say a statement like this here in our church. I can't remember if it's just in my conversation with him or he made it publicly. But he says, what is taking place when you come to VCC on a Sunday morning? If you ask yourself that question, what's taking place at VCC when you come here on a Sunday morning? Ben's point was, you might say, well, fellowship, that's awesome. Praise and worship with the great music, that's awesome. Maybe some ministry up front, that's awesome. But the reality of what Ben stressed when he's talking to me or with us as a church and what I really believe the Lord wants to emphasize in our lives is what's taking place here every morning should be life transformation. Our lives should be being transformed. And that should be the goal and the vision of our church. At our church here at Victory Christian Church, we state it this way. We're here to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. That's what we want. That's what the Lord wants. You know, He came to give us life and to give it abundantly. And as the Scripture says in John 10.10, we have a devil who's trying to do everything again to steal, kill, and destroy. God wants to transform us. The Holy Spirit, part of its function is to transform us into the image of Christ. And it's a process that should be taking place every day. Many people call themselves believers. But they're not living a transformed life. Many people call themselves believers in God, but there's nothing that changes in their life. There's a new survey Pew Research put out. And I don't know how well we'll be able to see this on the slide. But this is a new survey. The survey was actually taken last December of 2017. All the data was put together, and it was released in April of 2018. So this is new data put together by Pew Research. And they started with this question, simply, do you believe in God or not? Do you believe in God or not? And the first number that they said yes to was the number we hear often, 80%. 80% of Americans say, yes, I believe in God. In their data, 19% said, no, they don't. 1% couldn't decide, <laughs> evidently. But 19% said no. But when you look at that 80% that said yes, the follow-up question was, do you believe in the God of the Bible, the God that is described in the Bible? And that 80% immediately shrank to 56%. 56%. 
There was 21% that said they believe in some other higher power or some other spiritual force. Yet they said initially they believed in God. Now those that said that no right away, 9% of that 19% believe in some kind of higher power or some spiritual force out there. And then the remainder, they just don't believe that there's anything. But of the 56%, the question I have is this. The 56% that say they believe in God and they said they believe in the God of the Bible, are they living a transformed life? Or are they living a life that looks just about the same as the life they had before they said they believed in God? Jesus died on a cross to transform lives. There is an abundance of grace, the Holy Spirit living in us. You know, it it tells us in the Scripture that God gives grace for us to not only want to be changed, but to actually to change. He gives us the, the grace to desire and the grace to do. If we are truly disciples of Jesus Christ, this should be taking place. I'm going to read an excerpt from a book. Some of you may have heard of it. Mark Buchanan is the author. And he called, the title of his book was, Your Church is Too Safe. Right away you get a little defensive when you hear that, don't you? Your church is too safe. And he started out by sharing a quote from a historian named Daniel Borston. And some of what I'm going to read is going to be on the, the slides up there. Uh, Some of it may not be. But I'm going to just read this because I think it makes so much sense about the church in America specifically today. He says this. Historian Daniel Boostrin documents a momentous shift that occurred in North America in the 19th century. We stopped calling people who went on trips travelers and started calling them tourists. Traveler literally means one who travails. He labors, he suffers, endures to get there. He immerses himself in the culture. He learns the language and the customs. He lives with the locals. He imitates the dress, eats what's set before him. He takes risks, some enormous, and makes sacrifices, some of them extravagant. He has tight scrapes and narrow escapes. He has gone a long time. If he ever returns, he returns forever changed. That's a traveler. A tourist, not so. Tourist means literally one who goes in circles. He's just taking an exotic detour home. He's only passing through. He's sampling the wares, acquiring souvenirs. He retreats each night to what's safe and familiar. He picks up a word here, a phrase there, but the language and the world it's embedded in remains opaque, cryptic, and vaguely menacing. He spectates and consumes. He returns to where he's come from with an album full of photos, a few mementos, and a cheap hat. He's happy to be back, and he declares, oh, there's no place like home. A traveler versus a tourist. A cultural shift in those two words. And then he goes on and says this. We have made a similar shift in the American church. 
At some point, we stopped calling Christians disciples and started calling them believers. A disciple is one who follows and imitates Jesus. She loses her faith in order to find it. Or excuse me, she loses her life in order to find it. She steeps in the language and the culture of Christ until His Word and His Word reshapes her. His Word and His world reshapes her. It redefines her, changes inside how she sees and thinks and dreams, and finally how she lives. A believer, not so. She holds certain beliefs, but how deep these go depends on the weather or her mood. She can get defensive. Remember, she, I'm, I'm using his, I'm not picking on you ladies. It's us men too. She holds certain beliefs, but how deep down these go depends on the weather or her mood. She can get defensive, sometimes bristling so about her beliefs, but in her honest moment she wonders why they've made such scant difference. You can't be a disciple without being a believer. But here's the rub. You can be a believer and not a disciple. You can say all the right things, think all the right things, believe all the right things, do all the right things, and still not follow and imitate Jesus. And these words are kind of convicting, as if it's not been already. The kingdom of God is made up of travelers. But our churches are largely populated with tourists. The kingdom is full of disciples, but our churches are filled with believers. End quote. I was really struck by all of that. I was convicted by all of that. And convicted to the, to the, in a way such that I'm, I didn't feel scolded by God. But it caused me, I was convicted enough to really think about those things. Are we travelers in the sense that he described it? Or are we disciples in the way that he described it? Are we more like tourists or those who believe? But nothing's changed. A transformed life is what we as a, as a church desire to see taking place in people who come to know Christ. Is God transforming lives? If He's not, it's not His fault. So what's the problem? As I said, at VCC, we, we believe, and this is our desire, to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. That abundant life in Christ is a life that's been transformed. We have been set free by the Word of God, the truth in the Word of God. We've been set free from the power of sin and death through salvation, a gift of grace that we receive by faith through Jesus. But there is still this aspect of cooperating in the transformation. Don't get me wrong, nothing happens without the Holy Spirit. But very little happens if we're not cooperating. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and I'll point out some words in a lot of the other translations, but it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul speaking, 
He says, dear brothers and sisters, meaning he's speaking to the Roman church. He's speaking to a church. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Total surrender. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy or conform to the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect, pleasing. Being transformed, your mind being transformed by what? The washing of the Word of God. Transformed. You know, when you hear that word, transformed or transformation, what we're talking about is to be changing something into something different. And it implies, at the very least, a major reformation, a major change, a major change in the nature or function of something. And the Greek word is the word that we get the word metamorphosis from. And you've probably heard the example given many times of a butterfly. From a caterpillar to a butterfly, that metamorphosis that takes place. If someone over here for the very, very first time in their life saw this beautiful butterfly, and then over here you said, guess what? This is what it used to be. There's no way they would believe that this caterpillar could possibly become this beautiful butterfly. This caterpillar who is in the bondage of its body that can't leave the ground, and this beautiful butterfly that looks totally different and flies in freedom. And this is a perfect picture of the kind of transformation or the metamorphosis that should be taking place in the life of a believer. Before we accepted Jesus Christ, we were in the chains and bondage living under the power of sin and death. We have been set free to become transformed into this amazing testimony of the image of Jesus Christ. Now, the big difference is the butterfly doesn't have to do anything. It's just the way God created them to change from this caterpillar into this beautiful butterfly. With us, there is an aspect of it that we can't do anything. We can't save ourselves. We can't enter into that transformation process in our own strength, and our own works. Religion won't get us there. We are saved one way and one way only, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there at our salvation. There is grace that's available for us to be transformed into the image of Christ, for us to be changed into this new creature. The Bible declares that that old person is dead. All things are born new. We're a new creature in Christ to be transformed. The word that's way it's used in the Bible, in the New Testament, has two different ways that it's typically used. The first way, and this is getting into the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff in the New Testament. We're talking primarily the Greek. But there's different tenses. And I'm not going to go into that, but there is what's the active voice of being transformed. And the active voice is an aspect of what, this is what I'm responsible to do. Be transformed. What do I have to do to be transformed? And then there's the passive voice. Our being transformed meaning the transformation is taking place and it's being done within me, but not by me. 
In other words, when we look at this transformation, there's two voices in the New Testament that clearly speak that there is a transformation that is a passive voice speaking to us, and it is God working in us. He's working in us. But then there is that aspect of the active phase where it says, therefore, you need to do these things. And when he says you need to do these things, it's not like we're all of a sudden saying, well, it was sure living under grace. That was nice. But now we're back to putting on a little helmet of law, do these things. Absolutely not. It's an act of love. He's saying, I want to transform you from within. Because I've done this amazing work in your life, because I've sacrificed my son, because I've given you the Holy Spirit, because I'm depositing truth in you out of a reaction of love towards God. We can hardly wait to do what's necessary to be transformed into the image of Christ. We are no longer motivated by fear because of the law. We are motivated because of the love of God. Big difference to be transformed. Our responsibility. Notice when I read Romans 12.1, it said, I plead with you in the translation I read, and some of the other translations you'll read it this way, I urge you, I appeal to you, I beseech you. Paul is coming up with whatever word he can come up in the strongest sense saying, get this, please do this in the strongest way possible. He is calling for us to make a decisive commitment in our life. Please make this commitment. I urge you, I implore you, I beseech you to make this commitment. A commitment that requires spiritual activity on our part. If the, if the passive phase, if we're not a believer, it, it's not going to happen. It won't be long-lasting, and it certainly won't bring glory to God. But if we are a believer, we've accepted Jesus Christ, then that's who Paul's speaking to in Romans. He's speaking to his church, and he says, I beg you, I plead with you, I beseech you, do what's necessary. Start some spiritual activity I believe, out of love for the Lord and what he's done for you, and to be transformed. And the word conform there is an interesting word. We get the word out of this big Greek word. We get an English word called scheme. A scheme. The word conform is basically, there's another translation. It's a paraphrase, actually, in the Phillips Bible. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. We are no longer of the world. We are now part of the kingdom of God as it is here on earth. And we will be a part of the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Don't let the world squeeze you. And I guarantee you, if you're still alive and breathing in this earth, you are being squeezed. And we're trying, the world's trying to mold us. We are facing trials and tests and temptations every day. Every single one of us are facing these trials and tests to be conforming to the world. In the workplace, people challenge us. You know, I step, you, it's this Jesus thing. Come on, get real. Our peers and friends, oh, come on, this won't hurt. You can do this. Don't be so rigid. Don't be such a Jesus freak. Don't. We're constantly facing these things. And sadly, so much of the church, or what we call the church in America, is being squeezed in to the culture of the world. And God and Paul here is writing and saying, don't let the world squeeze you into its form. Don't conform any longer. We need to break away. 
And the problem is this. We have so often internalized the values of the world that we don't even see how they do not fit into the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever went to a matinee in a movie theater. You know, you, you come into the theater from outside, three in the afternoon, it's bright and sunny. You walk into the foyer of the theater and it's still bright and sunny, all the light coming in the windows, and you walk into that theater and, oh my gosh, the lights are off and you can't see anything. You kind of feel your way, hope you don't stumble, trip on anybody, and you get in your seat and you sit there and all of a sudden, slowly, things start to come into view. You see clarity. Oh, you can see who's there. You can see what's going on. And you think it's normal. And then when the movie's over, you get up. And what you thought was normal, all of a sudden, you're bred into the light and you go, holy smokes, that was not normal at all. That's what the world has done to so many of us is it's squeezing us into conforming to the world. It, we, we think it's normal. But with the light of the Lord and the light of the truth of the Word of God, we should be seeing that that's not normal. That's not why Jesus died. He didn't die so that we could get to heaven and live the same way here on earth. He doesn't want us to still be bound by the same sins and lies and deception of the devil here on earth as his children. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's manifesting his love and the grace to be changed. And he wants us. So we're not to give in. We're to be transformed. And transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's our responsibility. The Holy Spirit's responsibility in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we who with unveiled faces were no longer under that old law thing all reflect the glory of God, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. We are being transformed. We are taking on a new form. We are taking on a new nature. And this transformation is a process and it is being done by God as He works within us. That's His responsibility. We can't make it happen. But His grace will allow it to happen. We are constantly being transformed with ever-increasing glory, according to the Scripture. In Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, it gives us a real clear picture of that, I believe. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Our part. Now, work out your salvation doesn't mean, come on, you've got to do some more work before you're really saved. No, what it means is, work it out so it's there. Be transformed. Let the world see. Work it out. Let it come forth. That's our part. And the verse goes on and says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. Gives us the desire and the determination according to His good purpose. Two parts of life transformation. Traveler, immersing yourself in the culture, learning all there is to know. A a believer, well, I believe here, but a disciple. I want to know Jesus. I want to know everything about Him. That should be the normal in Christianity. We're supposed to change. But it's weird. When we change and we, we start to become what should be a normal transformation in the life of a Christian, 
we run into roadblocks. How many of you know a radical Christian? You know, you should all raise your hand already because that's supposed to be you, right? The normal in Christianity should be what we call, in a derogatory way, radical Christians. Ah, they're just, they're just, you know what, they'll calm down. Man, we heard that. If you haven't heard that yet, maybe you didn't get radical enough. But we should all be radical in the eyes of the world. Because we're changing. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. Our life should not look the same. We shouldn't think the same. We shouldn't do what we used to do. It should become different. Again, not to earn salvation. No way. That's a gift. But our part in that transformation, normal Christianity, should be radical in the eyes of the world. And I guarantee you, if you haven't experienced it, and if somehow the Lord stirs something in you to say, you know what, I don't want to be a tourist, I want to be a traveler. I don't want to just believe, I want to be a disciple. People are going to accuse you of getting radical. I mean, you'll have family members say, oh, come on, Mike, it's, you know, just back off a little. I mean, really, you have to talk about Jesus all the time? Well, let me see, what else is important? Oh, yeah, the Vikings. Golf. Wrestling, that was a cheap shot. All these things, we'll, we can talk about them all the time. Packers, I can't leave some of you out. We can talk about those things all the time. Weather, oh my gosh. If we determine what is an idol by the way we talk about it and the amount of time we spend on it, you would all be worshiping weather. Man alive, and, and, and what, you know what? One of our biggest idols I just heard this week, this week, this isn't an original thought. I don't get many. This isn't an original thought. It said one of the biggest idols in Minnesota is summer. Summer. Wait a minute. I thought, what do you mean, idol? We worship summer. We plan our life for those 90 days. And everything about those 90 days is the most important thing in the world. Oh, yeah, there is church. There is Bible time. There is life group. There is time with the Lord, praying and meditating. I hope there's time for those things. But there's not during that time of our summers. And I'm guilty as everybody. I mean, I'm guilty. As I thought of that, you know, it's right. We do. But we only get 90 days if we're lucky, right? How can we not squeeze it all in there? Nothing wrong with squeezing it all in there. It's just a matter of what you push out that gets to be the problem. Normal Christianity. I'm going to close with a quote by Kyle Eidelman. Uh, how many of you ever heard of him? Kyle Eidelman. If you've been in church a while, you should have heard of him because we spent a whole long time reading his book, Not a Fan, and talking about Not a Fan. I bought the T-shirt, Not a Fan. You know what? If you want an opportunity to share Jesus, wear that T-shirt. I walked into a bar to get a burger and onion rings. No, cheese balls up in Brainerd, wearing this not a fan. The bartender looked at me when he walked in the door and said, hey, I love your T-shirt. I don't know what he was thinking it meant. But if he'd have waited on our table, right? Not a fan. What does that mean? I'm a fan. Here's what Eidelman wrote. And if your feet haven't felt stepped on, this might do it. It hurt me. He writes this. Many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. Matter of fact, some of them have bought stadiums. Another cheap shot. 
Somebody asked me when do you want to live stream your church? I said yes, but I'm not so sure. I say some things that probably shouldn't go out live. He said, become sanctuaries. They become stadiums. Every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in truly following him. The biggest threat to the church today are fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. He used the phrase or the words a fan versus a follower, a believer versus a disciple, a traveler versus a tourist. You know, the Holy Spirit will always do his part in the transformation process. The question is always, will we do our part? And what might our part include? And these are strong suggestions because I heard Paul use most of these before, so I figure I'm okay with that. But first and foremost, make sure you're saved. If you've never truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be one frustrated human being as you try to transform your own life. Without the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, it's an impossible task. We can make some changes, but the old thing will just roar its ugly head. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you've acknowledged that you're a sinner. You needed a Savior, Jesus Christ, the only sinless Son of God, the only Son of God, who died on the cross for my sin, took my punishment for the wrath of God for my sin. And he was raised from the dead victorious. And he offers us the gift of salvation. Make sure you're saved. Don't just believe here. Know it here in our hearts. Second, surrender fully to God. This is that radical aspect. Are you all in? Are you all in? doesn't mean you have to get weird, but get all in. doesn't mean you lose your brain and get stupid, but get all in. doesn't mean you say stupid things all the time, but you speak what the Holy Spirit prompts you to speak. Are you all in? Are you living for him and willing to sacrifice? And you've heard me say this so many times, and we all know it to be true, but be in the word. It's the only effective way of renewing our mind, the word of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading all these other books about how Christians should do this, that, or the other things, or whatever. That's fine, but it's the word of God that renews our mind. Be reading the Word of God. There's a catchphrase you may have heard before, but get the Word of God. Get into the Word of God until the Word of God gets into you. Get into the Word of God until the Word of God gets into you. When it changes you, begins to change you, and allow or cooperate with the Holy Spirit in His work of sanctification. Sanctification has two aspects. One is a set, it's setting apart, taking us away from something. Do not be conformed to the world. Being, becoming sanctified. But there's also a, an aspect of that word to the, being set apart for what? Being set apart for something. We are sanctified to be set apart for God. To love Him. To serve Him. To bring glory to Him. And then this thing's a little vague in my mind sometimes. But look for opportunities to be transformed. There are things that are happening in our life all the time that are opportunities for transformation to take place. Something happens and 
this thing in us rises up and say, you know what, this is the way I can deal with that, and it's the old way. And it's the way of the world. And it's an opportunity to say, no, wait a minute, no. I'm going to take this opportunity to let the Holy Spirit transform me. God, what would you want me to do? How should I handle this, God? What do you want from me? Allowing and taking opportunities, partnering with the Holy Spirit. Somebody said earlier, I think it might have been Brian, or somebody said, you know, the, the Holy, one of the young people here, the Holy Spirit, God wants to speak to us. He is speaking to us. He'd love it if we'd hear him. Cooperate with him. And receive the grace of God and resist the devil. And freedom comes. You know, as we truly follow Christ, get to intimately know the Holy Spirit, God transforms our minds according to the Word of God. And when that happens, it transforms our desires. It transforms our will. He says, I'll give you the grace to desire and the will to do these things. And it it will transform our relationships. And ultimately, it will transform the very reason for living. And the reason for living is to bring glory and honor to God. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that you have given us the Word of God. Father, I pray that you would extend grace to each one of us to to love that Word, be hungry for your Word, increase the appetite for your Word, give us grace to understand as your Holy Spirit reveals the truth within your word. And Father, I pray you would also give us the grace to surrender ourselves and our, and our own desires that your desires become ours. Lord, I pray that none of us would be content to be tourists, but we would all desire to be travelers, those who immerse ourselves in what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Lord, now I pray that you would guide and direct us, go before us each day, each week, give us wisdom to see those opportunities of times of transformation as you have those deployment appointments for each one of us. Father, that our lives, our desire, our very heart's desire would be to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. Protect us as we go. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.